Was, was that so you could hear me better? No, this is just like leftover coffee, and I'm like, I gotta keep myself from going. It hurts. <laughs> it's like my biggest thing is like at some point of the day, like, of course I picked this fucking mug. <laughs> at some point, it's like I just start slowly getting brain dead, and I'm just like, gotta, gotta keep the caffeine train going. That's like me when I'm uh, when I was at work. I was like really into Red Bulls. If you ask related questions, you do not want me to be like um, uh, digging deep into the crevices of my brain. What's that? Like if like you ask me if I'm tired, like I'm really gonna oh. think deeper, and it's gonna come out like not good explanation <laughs> well no that's why I, I like the craft beer because it makes you more comfortable makes it a little little off edge also i oh, think i am yeah. gonna i'm gonna start this podcast with you holding your coffee thing up being like i really like fucking coffee <laughs> so what beer are we drinking today adam i thought it was appropriate since we're in iowa that i would get the most hipster, redneck-looking-ass beer with a farmer on it. Farmer John's or whatever. So I got a multi-grain ale. Multi-grain ale? That's what it's called? Does it say what style farmer, is? Farmer John's multi-grain ale. When most people think of Iowa, they picture flower, flowering fields of grain for miles and miles. Created by a third-generation farm boy. Farmer John's multi-grain ale is amber waves of grass, of grain in a glass. Oh, so it yeah. sounds like a, an amber brew to me. Here, do you mind, yeah. uh, do you mind uh, putting that up on camera? Yeah. It's so pretty. It is. And I got one with a wizard because, like, wizards are dope. Yeah, so I thought, I thought you were going to do the uh, Confluence IPA. Oh, this is Con- – oh, this is – got- It's from Confluence, but it's not their IPA, yeah. right? No, not their IPA. They have multiple different IPAs, but the one is they have obviously we, but they have a classic one. Yeah. Piece yeah, of- just just the Confluence IPA, which is like a more piney one. So yeah, for those of you who are not from Iowa who are watching the podcast, uh, one of the name like main craft IPAs that you can get at basically any bar within Iowa is the Confluence IPA. It's everywhere. Um, so for put that in. Uh, Example for any of my viewers from Wisconsin who are watching, uh, it's kind of like in Wisconsin, the, uh, um, I don't want to say spot cow, uh, Ale Asylum, like Ale Asylum IPAs, or for my uh, viewers who are in Texas watching, kind of like a community IPA, that's what Confluence is like in Iowa. So the, uh, the beer I am drinking is the New England style uh, Indian Pale Ale from Epic Brewing. Psychedelic. Yeah, it's a cool can, isn't it? It's a rad yeah. can. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Epic Brewing. They are out of Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. They have a um, sister location in Denver, Colorado. Also, the location they opened up in Utah was one of the first breweries that was exclusively high alcohol content beers after Prohibition. Have to check mine. I'm like, what percentage is this? Five point eight. So I'm feeling pretty good. 
Um, I actually don't know what alcohol content of this one is. Oh, look at that. Mm. It's kind of nice. This one's why this brewery is like 22 minutes away from my place. And it was really nice because like when quarantine and COVID first started, they were like, yo, curbside pickup. We're, and we're going to put like cheap. I was well, like, I can get started. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers to you. Cheers. The whole battle spell on my laptop. Oh, it's so good. It's so tasty. Same. This is lighter than I thought it would be. Like, this doesn't taste like a 5.8. Which is. Yeah, I still need to look at mine. Let's see here. Honestly, it was six point something. I'm not sure if I see it. I don't see. It. I think it's six point something, but I can't tell. Oh no, it's seven percent. That does not taste seven percent. That's crazy. Which is kind of awesome too. <laughs> Bottoms up. Dirtalicious. So, to our viewers that are on, you are listening to the Babel Bear podcast. I'm your host, Mikey Paisley. Today, I'm joined by my guest and very close friend of mine, Adam McFlurry, or his actual last name, McMurray. Um, Adam, I, I will just call you a scientist. What is your actual title? I am a research associate. My title. Or where I work, that's just like a very broad term for anyone. Like you could work on clinical cancer research and be considered as research associate. You could work purely with corn in the field and your research associate. So it's like a broad term for everyone in the world of science. So you are a scientist. I'm hired by a scientist. <laughs> I'm going to call you a scientist. Um, and that being said, let's talk about it. Did Holmes Gillett? Man, so Adam, when did uh, when did we become friends? It was a while ago. I uh, want to say out of everyone I found the podcast so far, I've probably been friends with you the longest. I remember distinctly when we became friends because you were in the whole world of theater, and I was not. Until all of a sudden, I was like, I want to go out for like a play or like a musical, and it was like I didn't know anyone that was a part of it. So I was like. I go into it, no, I'm not going to know anyone. I'm going to have to make friends with from scratch, basically. And all my friends were like in cross country and track. And they were like, why are you going to, why are you going to do that? I was like, I, I thought it'd be fun to sing and dance, I guess. And it just looked cool from like the plays I saw. So like, I'm like, going to go to auditions. I'm going to do it. And then I skipped auditions because I was nervous and I walked outside the hall back and forth and like our Peter, Mrs. Garvey was like, do you want to be a part of a play? I'm like, sure. And she's like, someone dropped out. You're going to get that part. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> and then you were like, you were like the leader, like secondly, you were, you were high up on the totem pole. 
Oh, thank you, man. I'm trying to think. It was a uh... mash. Was it mash, really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, when I was in high school, I was a theater nerd through and through. Um, I enjoyed like uh, other stuff too, but like, and sp- specifically, I enjoyed stuff in the realm of like film. And we had this own like uh, school news station called WCTV that I worked with a lot. But it was like that and theater were like my, my two uh, n- niches that I got into, and that's how I met Adam here. And uh, the high school did a production of Mash, which is a TV show um based on paramedics in the korean war uh and it was a lot of fun i played the the lead of hawkeye in that and i remember that's how basically me and the hometown boys all became friends as we all were in that uh play together yeah then we started just doing a bunch of plays and musicals and just kept on stacking up Mm -hmm. and yeah it just kept going because what probably be like five five of them after that I would like I would say we probably did something like that, yeah. And yeah, it must have started with theater, and then from there it went on because we started going to the same college together for a while, and then we would travel from town to town to go see each other, invite each other out to parties and bonfires and everything like that. And it's like it's crazy too because we live in like totally different worlds. Like you went to school, get your bachelor's degree, uh, you became a scientist, in my opinion, <laughs> while I decided to go work in uh, theater management. But you got the job with the best perks. Beer movies, man. Beer movies. Because when I went to visit you in Wisconsin, I was like, you royal treatment when I came to go to the brewery and everything. I went to the theater. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so uh, those who don't know um, about Flix, Flix is also a brew house. So that's where I got my love for craft beer was for, through working for the company. And it wasn't like, I wasn't, when I originally started working for them, it wasn't like a... Uh, my goal to like go into management. I was just doing it for a part-time job because at the time I was studying uh, um, cinematography at school because I wanted to work in film. I wanted to like work behind the scenes, you know, do either camera work, sound editing, whatever I could get my hands on. And I discovered that one, I don't really like working with other people in that regard. I don't like working with that many people in the same project because I feel like I don't have ownership and yeah, call me. I'm a, selfish in that way but it was a big bummer and then uh, I found that I started really enjoying and loving working as a team at Flix and I was able to progress and move around the country through it so that's why I, uh, I decided to do that what about you Adam how did you like did, how, how did you go about deciding that this is the career path that you want to do because you're both your parents are doctors right they're they're doctors so they both have their PhDs, and it's kind of like a weird kind of situation. So little to my knowledge, like my mom has her PhD in plant tissue culture. My father has his PhD in botany or basically biology. But like when I grew up, I they both switched careers when I was like around seven. And then my mom um, raised us, and she became a nurse later on. My father got his degree in respiratory therapy. So I only ever like knew them as healthcare workers. I knew they had like a background in science, but like, I didn't know what. So then like, like, Hey, we, I hung out with them. Obviously they had, were like all about plants. I like hung out in their garden. I like kind of got a little mm-hmm. bit of plants. I remember one year my dad like grew out bino carrots. 
that was a thing. Just because? Just because. I don't know if he deliberately did it or like some weird mutation happened. But then like I went to biology because I'm like, it's broad. I kind of like, I like, I didn't, I didn't like plants. I like animals. I like cell stuff. And I was still trying to like figure out what part of biology I wanted to do. So then like I had one amazing professor in Iowa State who taught like a botany course. And it wasn't even because like he taught plants super well. Well, he taught plants super well, but he could taught any course and it would have been like, this is awesome. This is cool. So I ended up just going to like, I took a botany course with him. I took another one because he was the instructor. I'm like, just going to follow you because I'm having a good time in your courses. And then, then I felt just comfortable working with like plants and stuff. The more I learned about it, the more I had like an appreciation because like everything like cotton, plants, beer, plants, and also it glows into like the genetics, biochemistry, just all the, it's just diverse group. And yeah, I don't know. I just got excited for it. Also, you can't like Iowa agriculture, you can't real. it's hard for biology. It's kind of hard to get like a, you're not going to find cancer research in Iowa very well or very easily. Hmm. Plant stuff is like really niche, like not really niche. It's very easy to find kind of a role in it and it's more comfortable. And it's like, you know, where it's instantly going to benefit, like basically your neighbors growing up. Well, because, you know, Iowa is such an agricultural heavy area. That's it. Corn is the Iowa makes up. What was it like 43 percent of uh, of total crop, I believe, or total corn crop for all the United States. So clearly uh, it's going to be. A heavy, like, yeah, it's going to clearly it's going to be like a uh, uh, heavy area for agricultural and basically in any any regard of where you want to work. It has something to do with agriculture. So I have friends of mine who work in engineering, who work in, you know, mechanics to breweries, everything at some level has to do with the fact that corn is everywhere (laughs) and the job is going to relate that somewhere. Like the friends of mine who work in um, mechanics engineering specifically, lots of their jobs is working on tractors. It's working on, um, on grain machines, things like that. Uh, for a little bit there, I was a volunteer firefighter in a small town and a good portion of the fires we went to were crop fires that happened. It just, it's everything in Iowa. Everything has to do with agriculture in some form, even in regards to working in biology and working as a scientist or under a scientist. So, okay. So I'm dumb. Clearly I'm not qualified. I'm the battle bearer. What does it take to be titled a scientist? Basically, most scientists have a PhD, they're an expertise in their subject, and a lot of scientists actually don't do lab work. He'll come up with like the experiment, the protocols, and he'll kind of give it to me, and I will be his hands in the lab for it. That's where a lot of scientists, they'll come up with, the, with like basically their experiments, everything going into it, what chemicals you're going to need, and then I will do the lab work, give him the results, he'll interpret it, and that's kind of from what I've so, like, you actually, you, you need a PhD, you need those credentials to be labeled a scientist, like, job-wise, or it's is it more of, like, a self-proclaimed, like, if you want to call yourself a scientist, you are a scientist? It depends if you're being, like, you, you study something, you work on it hard, like, you could, let's say you want to grow plants, or if you want to make your own in-house DIY, like, lab, you can be, you can call yourself a scientist, but if you want like the 
pay with the title, then you gotta, that's where the PhD comes in real Okay. Cause it's kind of like, you know, doctor, you can't just be called doctor without having your doctorate. So I wasn't sure if like scientist is the same way. Like you have to have something specific to be called a scientist. Just like when you see like research associate on my name, I see research scientist by my boss's name. So okay, that's just where I'm going for. But basically anyone can be considered a scientist if you're like passionate about something and you like go dig deep into a topic and then you're just like obsessed with it, which is what most scientists are. Mm-hmm. So, and the most dumb person terms, you can put it for me so I can follow. What is your job? Like, what are you responsible for doing? Like, why were you hired to do or what were you hired to do? Is a better way to phrase that. So for my position, it's very niche. Um, like most research associates. Um, so let's say a scientist um, comes up with this unique gene or they make this unique piece of DNA and they're like, hey, we want to see how this works in crops. They'll give me the They'll give me the traits and I will put that into a plant and I'll tell them if their trait works or not. So basically they'll create the GMO. I just add it to the crop and then I'll see if the gene in the next generation is like there. I'll do like phenotyping, seeing the physical characteristics of the gene and seeing if it like works or not works or like which, like he'll give me like 70 different genes or traits and I'll tell them which ones are duds, which ones are good and then we'll kind of move on to like the next ladder of like making a product so you're the you're the trial and error guy you're basically you're giving down this modification that you then input and then you wait to see what happens and then you record the results and give it back to up top we're a screening phase we screen out kind of all the early we're like the tip of the pipeline the tip of the arrow just to see like hey here's all the duds here's what works and or just a screening group for corn, soybean, whatever new, what's in vogue. Yeah. Great. No, it's really cool. So coming from like where, and I, this is me self-admitting how much of an idiot I am. Uh, at one point, like I literally had no idea what GMO meant in any regard. Uh, other than I knew people didn't like them for some reason. And I, did, I still didn't understand. Like I didn't process it. Like, oh, they're putting chemicals in food. Who gives a shit? Uh, and then talking to you and seeing like your career path and I got more curious about it. Cause I was like, okay, what are you doing? Like, what's it for? And that's where I, you know, start being so, uh, boxed in and decided to look, take that bigger look into like, Oh, like it's to make crops stronger. It's so they'd be bigger. It's for this and that purpose. It's for generally like good purposes. So we can still have food. And, uh, once I was able to open that, it opened up a huge door. Did you, uh, happen to see the podcast I had with, uh, Sydney? I saw, I actually watched it before this. Okay. So, because it was was talking with her about GMOs, which I was like, I need to get my buddy Adam on here. This is what he works in. Like I need to, uh, um, get his input on some of this stuff. So, uh, in regards to GMOs, I don't even know where to go. There's so much stuff you could talk about it. It it, honestly, I'm like really excited to even bring it up because. So I, I thought about this and I had one, concept to kind of push into just general GMOs, which is like the concept of like CRISPR, which is just the bread and butter of gene editing, which is 
basically all all GMOs is just a sense of gene editing. And also, it depends like how you want to categorize GMO. America has a different version of GMO, like a different like we have a different definition than Europe does. And this is only like a couple of years difference. Uh, like, what's the best way to describe the difference? So for Europe, they okay for America, it's like. This is, this is to my understanding of the rules and everything. I'm not like, I don't know law and how they decided to come up with stuff. But so let's say a GMO is basically like, I see a cool trait in like rice or something. I want to take that gene, isolate it, mess with it. And then maybe I can increase like that great beneficial like trait it had in rice and stick it in the corn. It's like cross species interactions for what GMO is. But for Europe, they just came out with something like a few years ago that's like, no, nah, that's not it. If you mess with the traits, like if I mess with a piece of DNA in corn just within its own species, that's a GMO. So, yeah, because uh, that's what I was going to bring up because I know lots of countries in Europe and I believe Japan too um, say no GMOs, which is it's almost hypocritical because I don't think they realize like how far GMOs, like, not, even, not even GMOs, GMs, how far genetic modifications expand. Uh, I was doing some quick research before we were talking tonight that, you know, we've been doing genetic modification like before history was written. Seriously, like it's, it's it been existent longer than we have written down history. We saw a cow that looked really buff and we're like, hey, I want more buff cows, so I'm going to have that one screw a bunch of other cows that is genetic modification. So I don't know if like the, if people's moral right or wrong is necessarily with genetic modification or it's with someone in a lab breaking down the traits and taking them out and putting them in somewhere. It depends on like the person. Like I, it's kind of weird to, um, to think of like people that have issues with it because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want chemicals on my plate or I don't want a lot of chemicals. But like you go the organic route route, you're going to need a lot more pesticides than if you're going to genetically modify a crop. If I'm, if I add a gene to basically corn and I'm going to be like, Hey, this is going to like kill off insects and all types of bugs. If they start feeding off of it, of their own biological traits. So I don't need to add as much pesticides. If you don't have that trait for an organic field, you're going to have to add a lot more pesticides to it to like compensate for like that trait. It doesn't have. Yeah. So like, Sydney and I, we got into this a little bit because uh, we kind of brought up the whole like GMOs in a lot of ways are trying to make things scientifically natural. Like we aren't, we're not necessarily adding things. You're more so taking things that already exist and you're just taking the things that exist and putting them somewhere else to help benefit that thing. So things like, you know, fertilizer, pesticides will not hurt it. That's a, that's a, I honestly, I think that's a really good way of, of wording it. So it decreases people's concerns. Uh, follow up question I have for you then. Where's like the, the border of GMOs? So like, cause lots of people's concerns when it comes to GMOs is long-term effects. So if you're eating food, say like it's a corn product, potentially even, you know, meat products, tofu, soybeans, whatever it may be. There's these people who question the long-term effects. Like, okay, how do we know that and that did not is not going to make us sick after a while? What are the precautionary steps taken to make sure that that isn't being played with? Like, someone say someone in your position randomly decided 
that instead of doing their job to benefit people, they want to do their job to hurt people. What steps are in play to make sure those things don't happen? So before I had the position I have now, I used to kind of work a little bit in that field. I used to do protein purification. So like, let's say there's a crop, let's say you find this cool trait and it's like, it'll make corn grow bigger, larger. It, the kernels will be huge, feed more people, all these great things. But how do we know if it's safe for someone? So basically I'll take that trait and I'll purify the protein that gene is producing and I'll just get a big lump of it. And then we'll, we'll basically send it off to basically the government or like people before we can get in the market because for people that don't like GMOs, I don't think they recognize how how regulated everything is. Like it has to go through, like the government has to go through whatever country is going to accept our GMOs to like China. Everyone has to look through it. It's heavily regulated. Yeah. They'll feed it to mice is one of the stuff like my stuff would probably go directly to mice because mice can't vomit. So they don't really have a, (laughs) Oh, great. All right. I have a, I have PETA on my podcast again. Thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate that. Uh, no, that's a really good way to put it. Cause I guess like I understand, so I understand both sides of it. I more, I definitely lean towards GMOs are necessary. Cause I don't think you realize how many people live on the planet. Um, one study I saw said like by the year 2025, 2030, something like that, we will have, uh, I want to say 10 billion people on the planet, something close to that. And we are making enough food currently to feed like half of that based on like normal consuming rate, like how much we consume. We like to indulge. So it's including so, indulgement, 10 million people. And we don't, naturally, we don't have the means to feed that many people. There's just not enough surface space areas that we can continue to make food without leaving a huge uh, ego f- footprint. So GMOs, making food bigger, making it grow faster, those are required steps into our uh, or push there. So on that regard, I a hundred percent understand wanting GMOs. I support it. I do understand people who like get concerned because they don't know what's safe. Like they don't understand like what the precautions are, but realize there like are precautions. Vaccines. When you say the concept of vaccine, like I feel like people that like don't like GMOs also are the same kind of group that are like anti-vaccine which is like, it sounds scary if you don't know what it is, but once you're explaining it and how regular regulated everything is, you're like, oh, this is something I want. This is something safe. Also, like 80% of our grocery store is like GMO. It's yeah. how we're having stuff in like different seasons that wouldn't naturally happen. And like, I'd say about 80% of the crops and everything that we're growing is going straight to like animal feed too. Mm-hmm. Like the 10% of it that's like around 10, 12% of it that's actually going to like us and not the animal feed, which is going to change. We've been like, also, I'm not, I eat meat. I'm not going the full, like, we'll probably have to slow down on how much meat we consume because this isn't like obviously sustainable. So we're going to probably have to mess with that in the next like decade or so and have like actually real definitions of like what's allowed, what can't. So that strikes up. I, now you just added another point that I want to talk to you about. But before I do that, I'm actually going to go on screen share real quick because I found an article I want your hot take on. So I want you to be as aggressive as you want to be. Um, the If I can find it here. So 
what I found was this article that was the uh, 10 reasons why GMOs are bad. And so I want to hear your opinion because personally to me, I think it's very like shallow. The blog. Yeah, I think it's, like it's a- I think it's very, uh, it just wants to strike on people's fear. It's not actually based on science whatsoever. So I'd like to hear your hot take on this article. Let me pull it up real quick. Do you know about the guy who's, Obviously, you've heard about like vaccines cause like autism and that whole concept. Yeah. Can you see this, Adam? Can you see this on your screen? Yes, I can. But yes, continue. Yeah. The he basically um, that was like years and years ago, and he like wrote this paper, and he convinced like all his buddies, like, "Hey, do you guys want to be a part of a paper?" And he didn't tell any of them what it was, and then he got like all these different people on it, and it was like it was immediately taken away like super quickly. So Adam, what do you think of uh, this statement right here? The health consequences of eating genetically modified organisms are largely unknown. Well, I feel like we would have, like I said, 80% of the grocery stores GMO, we would have, we would have seen a lot more repercussions by now if this was, this had really any substance and it's also that's a sentence to make people scared yeah no shit most of it's unknown but guess what what you're eating isn't unknown that has been practiced and it's good but it's science like it's meant to find things that we don't know and then try to understand them i think it's it's a quick it's a quick sentence to make people scared so we'll go it's all like bait stuff oh easily let's find let's find something more here um, food items that contain GMOs are unlabeled in America. Why so sneaky? It's just, it comes down to like, we don't feel like the need to label it because we feel like it's actually safe material. They have different rules in Europe that I'm not, obviously I'm not from Europe. I am not familiar with like why they label it or how. Yeah, well, so this is this is what I like too is that instead of giving you any examples of what they mean, it just says uh, the European Union has banned GMOs, as have Australia, Japan, and the UK. Again, to me, that's more so like you're just scared of a word that you don't fully understand. Yeah, maybe they don't have as maybe it might not be as like nicely regulated, and they're not on them as hard as like they are in the U.S. and some other countries. Yeah. that could be a thing. I don't, I can't say for certain. I bet I could walk through any like dessert section of a grocery store with Hostess and you know Twinkies, cereals, whatever it might be, and I guarantee every pack isn't going to be like, "Hey, this isn't organic, by the way." <laughs> like, clearly, clearly, we're in the situation. If you don't want GMOs, go for the uh, organic labeled foods, or better yet, just grow it yourself. Oh yeah. I'm already at second beer time. I'm I'm doing pretty good. This is a tall boy, so. Oh yeah. I actually got really. So I I got good at pouring beer actually when I worked in a biochemistry group because every chemical we had to pour it on the side of the graduated cylinder because it would just would bubble up the entire bit. Remember we had this one chemical. You pour this much of like liquid bubble up to like here. So you're like basically being as patient as well. Yeah. 
it's it's a crazy thing um i feel like most people who drink beer on the regular already know it but in case you are new to drinking beer and you don't know this when you pour a beer tilt the glass ever so slight to the side and let it pour down the side of the glass into the bottom that is the best way to try to decrease as much head as possible at the top unless it is nitro like a nitro guinness or other type of uh stout mostly stout. other beers have nitro too if it's nitro then you do want to pour it directly into the glass let it fill it with head and then let it settle and then fill it more to get to the top. I like ni- Lefty's Nitro. They have a really good one I like. Which what brewery? <laughs> brewery was it? I think Lefty's. Left-handed. Something like I haven't had many nitros. I think I've had Guinness came out with a variation nitro that I, I liked. Mm-hmm. For besides those two, I really have not had many nitros. Well, also, like, lots of um, breweries you go to or, or bars with a good tap list, uh, a lot of them will have uh, nitro Guinness. Because most Guinness, when it comes out, is, is supposed to be nitro. It's supposed to be the proper way to do it. Um, some people that just have regular draft will just pour it straight. But lots of, like, especially if you go to any place that says it's a pub, and that's, like, the, they don't say they're a bar, they're a pub, they typically will have nitro Guinness because that's the traditional way to pour it. Right. Let's pull up some more of this screen share and get some more hot takes from Adam here. Genetic engineering reduces genetic diversity. When genes are more diverse, they are more robust. This is why a purebred dog tends to have greater health problems than that uh, a dear old mutt. Plants with reduced genetic diversity cannot handle drought, fungus invasions or insects nearly as well as natural plants, which could have uh, dire consequences for farmers and communities dependent on GMO crops for survival. <laughs> they hate them. Basically you're creating diversity when you basically make that, like I am in, I am making it more diverse to basically a wider range of like different pesticides, different uh, insects that can go into it. I'm making a broad range net of killing like different, pests that can attack it, making a broader range of different herbicides by like kind of going across different plants and seeing like, it's like a cut, copy, paste kind of thing. I'm like, you're really good at this. I might borrow that, put it into this plant and then just see if it works out. And I'll just like kind of fix that issue that I'm having within that plant, give it more, help the farmer out a little bit more. So yeah, I think they're using a very, a very broad spectrum term there because there are dogs that are, have been genetically bred and by means they, you know, crossbreed and whatever and whatnot, that do have health problems now. Lots oh, yeah. of those, lots of those dogs were crossbred though, like in the you know early 1900s, late 1800s. None of that was so regulated, far. and we if yeah. we had any like, if we like sat down with everyone and like hey, if and like come up with like hey this will make this, and we sat down and thought about it before we did it, I do not think we would have had the dog species we do now. Some of them are very cute, but they are like uh, pugs are a good example. I love pugs, by the way, but they have terrible breathing habits. They get so many um, lung infections and other uh, diseases that attack their breathways because their breathing's already terrible. A direct result of how they're genetically bred, but also they were genetically bred to look like that because we like that squish face. That squish face looks, but it has a consequence that this is they can't breathe as well. 
they're trying to use that and then put it towards plants. I, I just don't, I don't see the connection. We'll see if I get someone who's anti GMO on this show here soon, but that's why I'm excited to have experts on who actually know about this type of stuff. All right, let's keep going through it. <laughs> oh, this is actually this is pretty long this time. All right. Once the give genes... for this one. This is actually like a like once you genetically modify something, you can't go back to original trait of it. But there are we have a seed vault. We have a seed vault of basically all different plants and all different um variations of the plant going back to the very beginning. So basically, if we make a big enough mistake, we can potentially go back to that seed and we can basically plant again. Because once you do, it's regulated enough where we have, you can't predict the future, obviously, but it's not that big of a, it's not big enough an issue where we have to basically stop everything we're doing. And then, yeah, because if you look at corn originally, it looked like a flower with kernels on like each of its little like stems. And if we ever need to potentially go back to that level, I think we do have seed going back to that from the seed bowl. So, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, that yeah, even though you are taking things, you're making them different. I would hope that we have resources to, if we need to, we can retract back to what the original. Or then just edit kind of our fixed point to a fixed point where we can basically make it beneficial again. But everything, like I said, is so regulated. Like, I don't see that. This they went long on this one too. It was uh, uh, genetically modified organisms contaminate existing seeds with their altered material, passing on modified traits to non-targeted species. This creates a new strain of plant that was never intended in the laboratory. In North Dakota, recent studies show that eighty percent of wild canola plants tested contained at least one trans gene. In Japan, a modified bacteria created a new amino acid not found in nature. It was used in protein drinks, and before it was recalled, it caused several mental and uh, metabolic damage to hundreds of, as well as several deaths. J Japan banned GMOs after this horrible experience. Uh, monarch butterflies have also died after their favorite food, milkweed, was cross-pollinated with uh, Bt corn, which rendered it toxic to the endangered species. So for once, I feel like they actually gave really good supporting evidence for what their claim was. The only thing I want on top of that, like they had a pretty good um, reason for like why they're very anti-GMO in that aspect. But I, or you can like take something for granted, like we've seen for Lost Upon the Internet. Like, dude, show a source. Yeah. Have a post of something, like something that I know where like you didn't just like type that up, which um, I don't say they did, but like sources, sources clear all the cloud. All the clouds. They do. I'm a huge, huge facts person. When I have every conversation about everything, it's so like people get so angry and upset about things they want to talk about without like stopping to be like, okay, what, let's let's break this down very simply. One, go to the facts. Okay, facts equal what the problem is. From the problem, using more facts, we can get to the solution. 
no emotion, no arguing, no this or that. That's kind of where it comes into like, even now COVID and everything. Cause there are so many people that are like, it's a, it's a hoax. It's a, <laughs> yeah, you're fake, you're fake virus. So on that, obviously COVID-19 has killed lots of people. Has there been cases where people who were sick with other diseases, such as people who were elderly, have pre-existing conditions on, and then having COVID on top of that lead to a death that then, for whatever reason that might be, it was certified that they were they died of COVID-19? Yeah, I think that's possible. Do I think that's the majority? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm now really curious, what is your opinions when it comes to COVID-19 and how it has been treated across America? Well, our commander in chief, he's basically, he's told so many different stories and also he's not being a good example for like kind of the rest of us. He's like, I've only seen him like maybe in a max, a mask once, like, and he's kind of, so I actually, um, no, sorry. Continue, continue. I'll, I'll get to my point here in a second, but. Uh, also, I feel like we've seen a lot of warning signs. Like we saw this attack China. We saw this go into Italy. We saw this go across Europe. So I feel like we had a pretty good warning sign. Like no one wants to shut down the economy. Like that's just create increasing like all the financial and like economic issues we might already have on top of that and that we're in and basically putting like a standstill on everyone's life. Like you pay for rent, I pay for rent. That's stopping potentially both our jobs while we wait for this to be figured out. And like how many of that actually have in the world? Like 27. Like that's how many vaccines we have basically right now. Like created? Like, I'm pretty sure it's basically around that number. It is not in the hundreds. Like, we have not created that many vaccines because they're so hard to create. So it's basically basically stopping everything and saying, like, everyone, every scientist, hurry up and get this finished when you have been struggling to basically find, like, a vaccine for HIV and herpes and all that stuff. So I would like to hear your um, professional opinion on this. And I know you're not, you're not a doctor. But you do, you work in this realm. And that being said, you already have way more insight on this than I do. Um, I had heard, and I can't give you a source because it's just word from mouth I've heard, that uh, masks actually do not help in, contain, in containing COVID-19. So say if you had coronavirus and you were to cough, it would just go right through a mask because it's so tiny, it would just go through the fibers. What's your opinion on that? No, like for masks... I wish I had mine beside me, but you see the MetaMask have like three different layering mechanisms, basically. So it has like three different layers for catching stuff. Like you, it's going to catch everything. It's better than having like the once one type of material mask. Um, but masks, like they'll cover like literally spit, literally germs, everything. Like they make a difference. Yeah. Cause uh, so yeah, my, my view on that is like, okay, if it is so tiny, it would go through which I don't doubt because I don't know. I can't, I can't disprove it or, you know, prove it. Um, still, if you have so, so many of them, like so many pieces of virus coming out of you and they're clustered at that point, having some, even if a lot of it could get through it, having something is better than having nothing. It's thinning it out. Like, 
let's it reduces the chance that's what we need instead of giving like a 98 percent chance of me and you were talking right across from each other like we can go that down to like the teens or even like the single digits if we have a mask and we're just protecting all that coming out mm-hmm. that's a good that's a good uh viewpoint on it okay yeah i remember hearing from someone that uh it's so small it goes right through the mask which if that was like true if that was the case I do think it's kind of ridiculous to make everyone wear a mask, but if it even if it reduces it by a little bit, five percent, that makes to me almost makes it worth it. It's the same thing of like using hand sanitizer. Like, oh, it doesn't kill all the germs. Yeah, but it kills, it gets a lot of it. So, yeah, that's good to hear your hot take. Oh, so uh, going roundtable because I had a thought earlier about something you said, which I was really curious about. What is your view on having cloned meat in the marketplace? Oh, basically like plant-based food. Well, no, not, no, 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 no. So like, you know how like, they cloned a lamb in the nineties and then oh, yeah. and then they just basically about trying to sell clone meat into the market. Oh yeah. I, I thought about plant-based food because a lot of their stuff is trying to mimic like what hemoglobin would actually look like in meat. And they're trying to like mimic a, like they're trying to make as close to human meat as possible. And that's kind of when I admit immediately that's a plant-based meat. But wait, like, wait, wait, wait. They're trying to make it close to human meat. No, no. Did I say human? Meat? You did say human meat. <laughs> I was like, sorry. <laughs> 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 okay. You're oh. <laughs> so, sorry. Continue. Okay. Basically, for a lot of plant-based meat, they're ch- for a lot of plant-based meat, they're trying to make it as close to like beef as possible, like saying like this is what hemoglobin looks like, basically, and how it regulates at how meat gets like big, thick, juicy, and everything, and just like blood circulation and everything. How like you cut a steak and it starts kind of like getting all those like re- beautiful red juices out. So they're trying to like mimic that in a lot and like kind of their chemistry of how they're making it and trying to make it as close as possible. So like meat eaters, it's going to get harder for them to tell the difference. So between like plant-based protein, so, you know, something, you know, made within a factory or a lab, like, you know, uh, veggie patties or things, stuff like that. Beyond meat is a good example. Yeah. That tastes a lot like, that tastes a lot like meat, obviously like it's not identical and you could probably tell the difference, but like, it's a close second for like you. It's hard to tell the difference for some for, depending on the cut. Mm-hmm. That is like I've had it before. I've had Beyond Meat, and um, I think it tastes like hot dogs currently. But hot dogs are made of real meat, and it tastes just like hot dogs to me. So it's you know, in in that case, it's whatever. I don't know what the flavoring is. It's a it's a meat based flavor uh, that they're adding, but it has the same consistency I would say as ground beef. It really does Beyond Meat. That's a good point. So more, I'm getting a little more specific in regards to like cloning animals, which I actually don't know what the uh, legal aspect of that is in the States now. Cause I know it was a thing in the nineties. There was some controversy. I don't know if it's a thing anymore. If we were to clone animals and then take that meat and put it to the marketplace, where, where, where do you stand in that realm? Well, um, a lot of people are saying like clone the animal. I think a lot of it is like, maybe cloning the cells themselves, like regenerate, like creating that tissue and not the entire full animal. 
Like it's not just being like, Hey, here's one entire cow. Let's make a second entire cow just to use. Like it's getting us, it's like recreating a lot of the cells. And this is from like what I've read and stuff. It's like creating a lot of the tissue, but not creating a full blown animal. And then just using that as like, and then you're using the meat from that. Oh, so it's like, like they're not even making the animal, like raising a baby and then killing a baby and killing it and taking its meat. It's like, it's just straight up. They are creating the meat. Basically, that's what I've read. If someone can correct, so I'm not an animal science person, like straight up, not sure. I've read in books about this type of stuff, and, but that's what I've interpreted from it. And I've like, learned from reading it. But that's my... That's, that's really fascinating. That's really it fascinating. Makes sense just to because like that other creature obviously is like has is is an entity. Like it has a brain. It's entire like. Yeah. You mean the one that we like make and then? I don't, you just there'd be no difference between like killing that and killing the original. Like you're, that's that goes into a weird area ethics. That's like science fiction ish. It is. It well, it's it is science fictionist, but it's a real thing. Like it's like we are able to do it. If you get like their tissue, you build up their cells, you develop the tissue, and then you just kind of bulk it up, and then you create that basically on a, and like the equivalent of like a petri dish. Yeah, basically, that's what I was viewing for basically lab-based meat. I do find that it's very, it's very interesting because I so. In this regard, I'm a little biased because I am Christian, and to me, that just that comes off as playing God in a way, which I understand is like 100% the argument against it is that it's creating life, which from a Christian moral standpoint, you shouldn't do. That being said, our government isn't Christian-based anymore. It, well, I mean, it is, still is. Like it was, The laws were based within Christianity, but church and state were separated. So now that, that isn't really a fact. But I don't know. If you were to take out take out Christianity, take out religion and go from a moral, what's right and wrong. Is it right to create things in a lab for human benefit or is it not? I don't know. It depends on who you're hurting, what you're damaging and like the long-term effects to it for a portion of it. When a lot of science, when scientists a long time ago, not a long time ago, it's actually relative like 1970s, whatever. When gene editing became like a, new thing that everyone was like hey we can change the genetics of stuff we can put one gene to a different organism and this works they actually sat down with like all the top virologists um immunologists bacteria people just basically every ology that you could think of sat down together and they made their own rules for a lot of how this stuff is going to be regulated and then they kind of created their own standards for stuff. It came out with like, you know how biohazard like safety stuff is like level one, two, three, or you have a sense of it for like how. Sure. Yeah. We could, we could pretend like I know that. Continue. <laughs> well, they kind of created that kind of layout for like, oh, if you're working with like cancer cells and like it's highly contagious to people and it can like, everyone's a host possibility and it can live off of anyone. They created like the system for that. So they, we, a lot of scientists kind of create a long time ago, like it's not that long ago. I say a long time ago because I'm like 24 and it's like two about, it's 20. I mean, it was 50 years ago. It's like, it's a lifetime ago, close. But they created like 
they regulated themselves and they created a lot of the beginning rules for some of the stuff when it first came out. And then like kind of we've learned off of a lot of scientists, it's become way, it's, it's an open field. If you want to learn about like any of this stuff, you just have to basically Google it. Yeah. All the scientific papers are out there. So it's not like a hidden thing. You want to learn the benefits of GMOs, vaccines, any type of like uh, science that's defines controversial, like you can go out there and find it. So like, so yeah, the easy, so Again, I like I understand when people have I'm gonna call it trust issues. Cause that's what it is. When people have trust issues when it comes to GMOs, because there's like, oh, people are putting stuff in my food. I don't know what that is. I don't like that. Because they're doing it in a lab. And it's like this it's like this thing, like this uh when they hear in a lab, all of a sudden we're like, Nope, I don't want that. Don't get that one to me. So many um, movies show off creating so many different viruses. Yeah. Uses and everything. Well, and uh, and vaccines are kind of like the same way because it's it's oh, yeah. this. I don't want to say chemical. It's this thing you're gonna let someone put in your body because they told you it's good for you. So I understand when people are like, "No, I don't trust that. I don't want that." But then they don't take the effort to really research. Like, okay, well, why is it good for you? So I don't know whose fault that really lies on. Okay, if, 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 the fault lies on the people not doing the research. But maybe I don't know and presenting presenting it you should there's there's sometimes like a hard bridge between like scientific papers and then like going into like the public like laying it out for them i feel like vaccines been hit so many times like hard and like they've had so many different examples of it and laying it out and i think like you said it comes down to trust issues for some of this stuff a lot of people that don't like this stuff they love conspiracy theories they love knowing that they're they're like somewhat of the underdog. They're being oppressed, or they're like. Well, I mean, to be fair, I love conspiracy theories, and yeah. I am I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in them, but hell yeah, I like to watch them. I like to like yeah, I like to uh, look at them because it's like it does make you think. Some of it does make you think, but uh, not too long ago, I watched the uh, Flat Earth documentary on Netflix. Which, if you have not seen the Flat Earth documentary on Netflix, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, but what's so good it, one of them someone has a point within it I think it's an actual scientist that got on the documentary to kind of talk, discuss it was, it was a psychologist a psychologist was discussing people who believe in conspiracy theories and it was that uh, um, when you have a conspiracy theory instead of how like real science typically works is that you collect information that leads you to an outcome you find you find factual information that gets you to an outcome, but instead, how conspiracy theories works is they already have an outcome, and now they're going to grab any piece that surrounds that outcome that they think can fit it. Even though there's not a, there's not a factual path that clearly led to it, they will connect things and try to make it connect. Which once I, I heard that ideology behind it, I was not looking at every conspiracy theory. I'm like that 100 makes sense because they because that's how every conspiracy theory works. There's no clear connectors. They're just all these facts quote-unquote that they're like yep that's enough stuff for me to say that the twin towers was inside job instead of how real research how real scientific methods work and that's you find facts and that leads you to what the outcome is supposed to be wild group it's a wild group um i'm gonna i'm gonna steal something from the joe rogan podcast for a second like i haven't done it on this podcast yet um what conspiracy theory 
can you like kind of get behind? Like maybe you're not totally convinced, but you're like, if there's an expert on it, I'd sit and have a coffee with them. So I've heard like all, you see, I don't dive that deep in the conspiracy theories, honestly, but I've had heard a lot of the ones that are like, we've never made it to the moon. Those are like interesting ones too. Cause I watched one where it's like the guys, like if the earth is rotating at a certain degree so quickly, how are we going to get a straight shot to the moon? Like we did, how are we going to calculate all the difference? Like, you know, just like, I don't, I hate physics. Like I, that's great that's really great to hear from by far one of the smartest friends i have to say that like physics i don't fucking know physics was like i of all the mandatory classes i had to take physics was by far like my least favorite it just i just couldn't get it to stick i don't know what it was but it just didn't work and like there is definitely an explanation for all that but like when the guy like told it to me i was like get back to you on that that's that's a good one also um i'm on my third one now so you need to catch up oh homie dude i don't so there's your two type of people during like quarantine those that like like i don't got shit to do i'm just gonna sit outside bask in the sun get a couple drinks on whether those are like I drink at social events i drink at bars i drink with groups i don't i, don't I have... feel personally called out right now adam <laughs> this is like I don't drink like socially, so like that's why I'm explaining some things poorly. No, you're not. I think you're doing great. I'm following. You. I'm an idiot. So I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, no, speaking of conspiracies, um, one I could get behind. It's not necessarily conspiracy. I, I think it's honest truth, but there's just so much into it that you can get into. Um, and again, it's stealing from Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, it's the deep state theory. Have you heard about that? I've heard a little bit, but I'm not really. So the, the best way to describe it is that the deep state theory is, is the powers that be. So who really controls all the things happening? Um, and this dives into like, it, it can dive into basically anything in regards to government and people in charge. Like, uh, like Epstein's Island, uh, the federal federal reserve presidential assassinations basically deep state will tie into every conspiracy ever because you know in my opinion it's more so like oh is there things being hidden from us my personal opinion yeah like of course of course there's things that we don't know about probably for the better um i feel like a lot of it we should know but like deals with other countries and things like that and what could potentially start wars. Yeah. I think it's better that we don't know every detail. But yeah. Do you think the government's hiding things from us? 100%. And well, the no deep state kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. Deep state goes like into that stuff. Like who are the powers to be? Um, and uh, quoting from the podcast I had watched from um, Joe Rogan and Andrew Schultz, they uh, go on a bit like, like how do you get promoted when you're that deep? Like, bro, you went really deep this year. I'm going to bump you up. Kind of like power. Like I said, like, I feel like a lot of it could come down to like kind of a particular area of like the 1%. Like, 
also like mm-hmm. this is like the most in-depth in-depth i've heard about the deep state so i'm just i mean it's not like it's not much like and there's like like, like i said there's so many conspiracies you can go into with it because essentially it's just the powers of be people in charge doing shady transactions and whatever conspiracy you can find in there so i would like my only interest would be to go into deep state and to see all the crazy things that we know about and have done and this and that. Oh, yeah. uh, personally, I don't think it's nearly as in depth or crazy as anyone wants to admit that it is because I think, let's like, just be honest, people don't get along and people don't keep secrets well. I think it's just a lack of like documentation for like a lot of like the US because we don't like to admit when we've done bad things. Like, yeah, a lot of people know about like the Tulsa massacre. Or like a lot of that stuff until that became like a big thing kind of recently and like all that news kind of popped up about it. No, because we do not like admitting when we've done bad things. Like Thanksgiving, ooh, we did not really share food as nice. Oh like, man, we just got into a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> we whitewashed that. I'm happy. I'm really happy. I'm so it's a it's a a blessing and a sin because I actually have been doing a lot of research today and yesterday about uh um, everything in regards to Black Lives Matter, like the organization, not just the statement, which uh, now that I have the moment, I am going to rephrase. Uh, I had an earlier podcast that I was very open about me supporting Black Lives Matter. The statements I support, not the organization. Um, there's not many organizations I support blindly because every organization, every group has shady transactions, or at least the most public ones that have to do politics have shady transactions. And I do not support all of those, so I will not blindly say I support the organization. Um, I digress. What I was going to say there was that um, the podcast I had recently with my friend Chris. Chris, he's a really smart guy, too. He actually was uh, in grad school for evolution. Um, I just published that one. I think you would find a lot of interest in in seeing that one, Adam. But uh, something we brought up at the very end of the talk, you know, about, you know, Black Lives Matter racial injustice uh all this back and forth all all this back and forth between left and right uh at the end of at the end of the day regardless of whatever thoughts you may have on any of these issues my best opinion is that we need better education i think a lot of it when it comes to police is so a lot of people are like defund the police and all that I think we need to debundle a lot of the stuff they're a part of and actually increase some like funds to it. Like not increase like the amount of police we have, but increase like social workers, create like mental health, like people for that. And also if I get it, like, let's say, um, let's say I was sober and I got in my car and like I drive to like a grocery store. If I got into a fender bender, instantly I would call police. Yeah. But, like why so, yeah, do I there? I agree with that. I think saying defund the police is a very, it's a very blanket statement. It's a very dangerous statement because that is essentially saying that people can police themselves. And I, I don't believe that. Um, I am on the um, benefit that I believe people bore, are born selfish and we need to raise them up in a household where they are taught kindness. I think that's teach them more rights and wrongs. Um, I think and, that, and that being said too, I, when people say, okay, well we need to, you know, train the police better we need to give them uh, any more training. And to that, I also disagree because I think, well, for one, I haven't been trained as a police officer. 
I haven't the slightest clue what training for that position is like at all. So I'm not one to say, I think they need more training because I don't know what the training even is. So if you say police need more training and maybe you were the, the, the um, victim of a bad police officer. And I, I apologize for that. I, that doesn't give you the credentials to say they need more training. Cause if you haven't done it, you don't know if you are a trained police officer and you will say they need more training. That's an opinion I'll listen to. But if you haven't done it, I, I you know, I don't have much of an opinion. I really do think at the very bottom line, it's, it's in, within education on both sides. You know, I think for those lower income black communities, mainly black communities, uh, I just, I just heard some statistics on a podcast. I don't have to check the source. I don't know how true it is, but it's like in like the 10 most major uh, primary black schools, one of the high, highest reading, reading levels is third grade, which by the way, that's not their fault. That's a, that's a fault of the government on the uh, federal school system to support that school and to fund that school and to push those students to a higher caliber. Vice versa, I grew up in a mainly white school. And what we were taught about the civil rights movement was that um, MGK, fix it all. There's no issues anymore. It was, it was whitewashed beyond. It's so, it was so whitewashed. It was so whitewashed. It's sad. Like, it's a real thing. It was basically like MGK, fix it all. Instead of like really like cracking down like, hey, these things are still happening. And it is within the next generation's job to like, try and fix it. If you decide to be a racist bigot, that's on your opinion. And vice versa, if you decide to be racist against white people and be a bigot, that's on you. If you just want to be hateful, screw off. But if you want, if you want to pursue peace and happiness, it starts with education, actually educating people on the stresses and the um, injustices that are happening. For a lot of people that say, like, defund the police, I think they honestly, like, they don't want to just, like, get rid of all potential like authority and people to reach out to. They just want kind of like a new thing, a new start. Basically it's had such a bad rap as such a bad name for doing so much stuff. Like they kind of want to like a new platform to start over with. In a mm-hmm. sense. That's from some of the, that everyone has their own kind of, not everyone, but there's a lot of different groups that have their own take on it. But like, for me, I think we need to, we need to make it more diverse. We need to get more so, so like, social workers in there we need to like obviously there's gonna be situations where we need someone with like weapons but it's not every time we get into a traffic violation or every time like it you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, you need training across different areas yes you do need training across different areas i agree with that uh it is it is a hard revelation of like when police officers go into an encounter Every single one of them, it could potentially be life and death. And they you have to called for that. so many different things. So many different things. And any one of them could lead to someone deciding to hurt them. And they have to pick, you know, right or wrong in a lot of those. But do they know how to handle like so many different situations? I think like a lot of, I don't know their training, like you said, but I think a lot of it just kind of leads to a lot of escalation, which can, mm-hmm. I don't think they're, I think they're trained to handle escalation. But I think they're, like I said, I don't know the training. They're taught how to de-escalate, but I feel like a lot of their stuff is way more oppressive than suppressive. Yeah. So I know, um, I forget, like, I forget where, where, forgot where I had learned this from. Uh, I know, like, the mission is to preserve life. Yeah. That's, that's their main mission. And it's, that's very different because, like, in soldiers, 
it's, you know, in combat situations, it's, you know, get rid of the enemy, do that first, and then go and try to, you know, help your own pursue your life. And police is very different. It's, you know, as soon as you have the opportunity, you need to protect life. I've heard that. Don't quote me on it. I've, I forget where I heard that from. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, that being said, though, I think in a lot of the situations, I, I feel like they probably are trained in psychology. They're trained in how to de-escalate a situation. And they yeah. probably, it's probably a course and they have to pass it. That being said, they're all individuals. So what an individual decides to take away from that course that they can pass is, a, is a different thing. Like how in-depth course do they have? Like I've like is how long is the police academy how many different things do they hit on like these are stuff i don't know mm-hmm. but i've seen stuff i've i feel like i've read somewhere or seen somewhere that's like it's a year or maybe not even a year which is like i don't know so okay. yeah, i understand and that does, and i will also agree that a year doesn't sound great but also it's an it's an academy where they they, they live there you know it's not oh, credits. Yeah. It's not credits they're getting. It's like a day in, day out, go through this. Like uh, this is their life for a year. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it, it's living there. It's being a part of the academy. So you're gonna have to. I almost say. I almost say it's the same. What's that? You're gonna have to get a police officer on the podcast. I I need to because I'm I'm so curious. I have no idea what the training is like, so I can't input anything. But uh, what I would comment on that is when people do say the term like, oh, they need more training, they need more focus on this and that it's the same line of thinking of saying like, Oh, I don't like GMOs or I don't like vaccines. It's not that you don't like them. It's that you haven't done your part to research properly of what is actually happening. And so you don't even have a just opinion to argue against it or whatever information you're given was probably misleading and probably forced you into a rabbit hole against those things. Like everything there can be like, like there probably are, there are potentially disadvantages for having GMOs, but the advantages insanely outweigh the disadvantages yeah which so by the way taking a quick pause to anyone i have disagreed with at any point here i <laughs> i need to take a step i'm not trying to insult you in any way by any of the things i've said or um adam may have said instead i inviting you for conversation i will be respectful as i possibly can i'm not trying to be disrespectful it's more just me with a few craft beers going off on my own opinions but to anyone i am disagreeing with in any regards to any of these things i am more than happy having the podcast and to talk about them emphasis on the craft beers yeah that's what makes it fun i was actually talking to a, a friend of mine last night um i went out to this uh, nice cigar bar and uh we we're talking about the podcast and he was asking me like how everything's been going and how i've enjoyed it and this and that and i told him like i don't like it's been good but honestly like my main focus for starting a podcast legitimately was to make laughs and it and a second part i didn't want to shy away from was politics but i didn't want politics to become what my podcast was i wanted it to be about laughs and it's still about laughs but definitely politics take over a lot more and i felt kind of guilty selfish about that i just remembered Which, something I think would be interesting for the mask to take actually. When you brought the um, cigar bar, I just thought of something. So one of my friends in the lab, obviously we have like we have a lot of petri dishes. So we coughed on some with a mask and some without a mask. Let's see what would grow. Mm-hmm. Let's just say mask makes a huge difference. I don't know why I was forgetting about this. I blame confluence. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah. That's a that's a good point. Um what I was getting to there was that uh, 
I felt I felt kind of guilty about how political my podcast has become, but he said something that really comforted me. It was like, well, that's just the climate we live in right now. It's super political right now. That's everything anyone wants to talk about. And I was like, true. True. It makes a good conversation. Regardless of yeah, what. That's a good point. About, point. I think we're, oh, sorry. I cut you nope, off. Continue. Continue. But regardless of what we talk about, like we're going to end, end up offending someone's opinion or like a, whatever we talk about. We talk oh, about yeah. me. 100%. We're offend someone. We talk about like, what video games I like to play, we're going to offend someone. Not as severe as politics as everyone's, because obviously yeah. as video games as much as they listen to politics. Also, the NSC Democratic National Convention is on. For all right now? Oh, yeah. And then next... Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, I think it's, like, August 24th, they're starting a Republican National Convention, which is, like... I don't know. I end up watching them both just because I'm like, I like to see both sides. And like when it comes down to like the last, like the, not the last debates, cause they didn't have debates for Republican side. Cause like Trump was going to be the person, but before when Trump was like going against like Hillary and like both sides of like 20 billion people in him, mm-hmm. like debating, I watched all of the, I watched all of them on both sides, just so I can kind of get like a better picture of like, where does everyone truly stand? Yeah. And that was. Uh, I am going to run to the bathroom real quick. Feel free to do the same if you want to take this moment for a quick bathroom break. We will come back. I have a couple more questions for you. We'll wrap it up, but we still have about a good 30 minutes of talking that we can do. Okay, sounds good. All right, I'll see you soon. See ya. Also, I have no idea when you pause or start it. One second. One sec. Okay.
get a fucking stool. <laughs> Bathroom breaks are the best. How and I have no idea whenever you stop or pause anything. So for the most part, especially this episode, we haven't said anything offensive. So there's no really no cuts other than like um, you had said something and you kind of went to a pause. And that's when I said, hey, let's go to the bathroom. So I'll cut right after that. Um, for this, I will begin asking a question and then that's when it'll start up again. Uh, and again, I, I suggest watching it because it's really funny. The podcast I had with my friend Chris, he's so funny, but he is one, he's one of those guys like he gets the worst out of everyone. So it was so offensive. It was so offensive. And so many things we said, I was like, it's funny, but some of them got to a point where I was like, okay, I can't have that out there <laughs> of me saying that. Like, oh, yeah. it was good though. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so here, I got a really, a really good question for you, Adam. Okay. If you could pick any time period other than present day, to be a scientist, what time period would you pick and why? That's, mm. so like every experiment, like everything you do, you need to think of all the variables. And sure. Sure. I, at the level I am now, can I use what knowledge I currently have and just be like, hey, before you guys discover this, here's what I got. If I could be so, Around the Watson and Crick era, I think, is what I want to be around. What's that? Basically, they're the guys that discovered DNA was like a double helix and was the genetic material that was like inside everyone. It was before that they thought proteins had like the genetic material for everything. Or at the beginning. Uh, when, uh, when did that happen, though? I was like, okay, I've learned about so many times, but I feel like the 19, it could be, honestly, it could be 1970s or 19 even up to late as 1950s it's it's like something i google i can't pop out that top of my head that's crazy well so like g at the beginning of gene editing which or like crispr would be a cool area too because then, you said crispr earlier um okay. what's crispr so crispr is basically our tool for putting traits in the stuff by basically putting genes in the new stuff by let's say I have a gene, it's like, it's gene editing and the whole basis is gene editing. So to kind of understand CRISPR, we need to start from like the beginning for and like kind of understand how like, like everything in, eh. in everything in science, we take something from something else. We kind of look at how um, a, a cycle of something works and we're like, Hey, this would be cool if we had these tools in like real time. And we got our idea for like CRISPR for like bacteria cells. So bacteria cells are dope. So they have like a circular piece of DNA and bacteria cells are like fighting viruses, like no other, like they have a bigger, like beef with viruses than we do. So like, Viruses gets inside a bacteria cell, they populate, and then they like explode, killing the whole bacteria cell. Or they can put themselves inside the um, bacteria's like genome, and they can just keep, as the bacteria replicates, it can just keep replicating, carrying the virus on. Because like all organisms, they're just trying to live as long as possible and create as much like babies as possible. You're so smart. 
This is great. So this basically, is by far the best craft beer conversation I think I've had with someone. You're going. No, no, you've already said so many words. I don't know, understand what you're saying, but you're so passionate about it that I'm pulled in. I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me all about genomes. I'm so curious. Okay, so basically for gene editing, it's like think of like word copy and paste. We're cutting out a gene and we're sticking it in something else. Like um, there's a disease, there's a trait for it. I'm going to take it, put it into something else. For corn stuff, there's like, hey, I want to be drought tolerance. This thing is really got being drought tolerant. I'm going to cut that gene, put it in something else. It's literally just working on transferring genes and genetic traits. So viruses fighting bacteria cells, a lot of viruses kill bacteria cells, which is like, that doesn't work. That's no bueno. If a bacteria cell survives like a virus like invasion, it's like, hey, there's a little bits of virus debris. They'll collect that, literally stick it inside its like genome itself, and they'll be like, they'll make super smart enzymes that'll be like, hey, if a virus comes in again, we'll have a picture of them basically in our like DNA, and we'll know who they are, and we can kill them efficiently. And we really like that concept of molecular scissors of like just cutting stuff out and sticking inside the genome. So we like, we incorporated that into our stuff, cutting, copying, pasting, DNA, the different stuff. And bacteria cells, like, you know how something can be like antibiotic resistant to stuff? Mm -hmm. That's because bacteria cells, like they, when I transfer genes, it's like vertical. Like my kids are going to have the genes I have. Bacteria cells can do horizontally. If you and I were bacteria cell and I was like, hey. And you learned something, you could pass it on to me. Well, I'm like, that homie has a, we have similar beards. So that doesn't really. <laughs> That's not what you're about to say. I can see the clockwork going and you're like, I still want my job. So. <laughs> no, what? I, was... <laughs> I saw it. No. It's okay. Continue. No, but I'm like, okay. Fucking savage. I really like the color of his hair. I like how short it is. If I make contact with you, my hair, it basically, I'll take him, take on that new trait. I really respect you for dumbing this down for me into people. I have to dumb down everything. I, I, I respect the vertical and horizontal explanation a lot. But basically, if you had blonde hair and we came in contact, I'll get blonde hair. So basically, I'll become resistant. And that also goes to antibiotic resistance. You become resistant to all the different like stuff that you're going to be exposed to. They're real. They have like, you know how we have kind of junk DNA in our stuff. Like not every piece of our DNA is like important. We have kind of yeah. sense in there. So bacteria cells, every single piece of their DNA is important, except they have these gaps and they'll use those gaps to be like, Hey, I want like, Let's say it's us. I want blonde hair. I want I want Mikey's like biceps. I'm gonna take that trait and stick it into my gap. They're not that good. I think I'm more of a I'm more of a try guy. Biceps aren't really. In any case, that's basically <laughs> for like virus information and like all types of stuff. So we're like it's really cool how they can like cut stuff up and attach it to stuff. So basically, that's how we kind of like been working on gene editing stuff. And like, basically you can apply that to human stuff. You can apply that. It doesn't work as nicely for some organisms as others because it's like trial and error. It's like memory scissors. Mm -hmm. It's hard to come up with these little, like little examples. When no, you're, like, 
I appreciate it. I honestly, I forgot how we even got into that. I think I asked you a question about what time period you could be a scientist in. And then I think you got, you, just, you just kept saying really interesting things that I wanted to question. I brought like a notepad too, just in case I had to draw something. Cause oh, like, man, I got, that's, that's my whole, that's my whole gimmick is I had this big notepad. Here's the best thing. Here's, a visual a, learner. here's an exclusive thing that I'm just going to do for your podcast. Are you ready? This is the same notepad I've used for my past uh, two other interviews. Oh, because I've been I've been after my first interview with someone, I decided I would start writing down things so I could like think of things on the spot. Um, the notepad I use is a penguin with uh, googly eyes. That's adorable. This is so cute. It's so cute, right? It is. Hello. I'm a straight up visual learner, so. So like pictures, like I can draw the stuff that I'm trying to learn. It works better for me, and also for explaining stuff. Because if I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a little uh. yeah, I'm I'm handy too. Well, actually, that's real why I like podcasts a lot because I'm not much of an audio learner, but people in podcasts typically are so like passionate about what they're talking about. Like teachers aren't like that. Teachers aren't like they're not saying fucking shit and throwing their hands everywhere trying to explain something. If they did that, I would have paid attention so much more because I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, you're really passionate about that thing. I'm now curious. Podcasts are oh, not like that. So I talked about my professor I really liked. When he would see us, like, kind of, like, drowning out and, like, getting tired, he would, like, start speaking in, like, a different accent. Like, he'd go to Australia or something. He was an amazing accent. And I would just be like, what? Like, <laughs> Oh, you were talking about like the evolution of plants of this particular fern. The boringest shit. Now you're speaking <laughs> Australian accent. This slightly became more interesting. But like slightly. Um real fast, I'm going to go and grab another beer to finish off our podcast together with Adam. Uh I have two questions I want you to think about. I will let you decide which one you want to answer for me first. Ooh. Um one of them is just in regards to fitness, your uh, opinions of fitness, more just the whole, like, you know, what do you like to do? What do you think is important? What do you think is important for people to start trying to do? And then uh, two, who would you say is, if you could pick to have a coffee with one scientist, what scientist would it be? And in your regards, who do you think is the worst popular scientist? So someone who self-proclaims as a scientist, who do you think is the worst one? Okay. So think about all that. I'm going to grab myself our last, our last beer. Okay. Are we recorded? 
Yeah, we've been recording the whole time. It's just basically I decide when I want to cut okay. the footage or not. Also, what time do you have vacation? Because I have a buttload of PTO I need to use. Uh, Obviously, you have like a weird interest, Interesting question because I have been laid off for five months. Yes. I just started going back to work on Monday. Well, I actually, I came back to get my keys. My official first day is going to be Friday this week. Okay. So, and right now we have no idea how anything's going to go. So I, I have no answer. I have no idea what my schedule is like for the next ever. I'm trying to take off time during around November. Maybe we can figure something out. Yeah, Maybe let I me can, know. We can see. But, uh, as long as I get like a, like a month's notice, I can try. Oh, for out. sure. I'm trying to figure out everything I'm doing. Like my, I have one other coworker. Literally, no, I have two coworkers now. We just hired a new girl. And my one coworker, he's taking a whole, like, all of, like, from Thanksgiving to the New Year's off. And I'm going to be around when he takes that off. So I'm like, I need to figure out a good time where I can take, because I have, like, a month of PTO. That's how I was um, when Flix did its layoff, though. They cashed out everyone's PTO. Which is good for me because it, it like the how much all, it cashed out all my PTO, which was like oh, shitload. Okay. You said cashed out, and for a minute I was like, they just threw on the garbage bin. I was like, no, 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 they yeah, they gave it to me. Yeah, they they cashed out and gave me all the all the all that it was worth, which was a yeah. lot because I hadn't taken, I hadn't done any vacations or anything since I started working for the company. Basically, I've only taken, I think, since COVID happened, like four days. Like when COVID hit, I've been working every single day. Like, even if we went into, like, a, like, you know how Iowa never hit, like, a shelter in place? Yeah. If we hit a shelter in place, I have a thing in my car for, like, Homeland Security saying I still have to go to work. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't get it's up. badass. No, it's not. It's, like, it's not. It's not. Like, I wish you had that free time, but it's kind of cool to be, like, yeah. fuck you, bro. I can do what I want. Yeah. Um. So did you think about my uh, question before I went and took my beer break there about uh, if you who do you, if you could have a coffee with one scientist, who would it be? Or fitness stuff. Or you could talk about fitness stuff because I know that both of us have a fitness direction. Clearly, I have been on a fitness break for a little bit. I need to get back into it. I can't. I don't. I don't. I didn't notice. You look like you're in better shape than I am. Mm-mm. No, bro, I'm. I'm chunky. Haven't hit the gym in like three weeks. I like that. Yeah, it's been. It's no. and that's I work like that. Like it's like I'll I'll hit the gym really hard for like a month, and then I'll take like a week or two weeks off, and then I'll be like, piece of shit, just get back in there, and then I do it again for a month, and I lose interest, and then I take like two weeks off. It's it's constant. It's annoying. I annoy myself with it. I feel yeah. For like, I know scientific history, and like I read a. Whole- I literally just read a book about scientific history like a while back, but like after so many crap years, you're like, you're going to fuck up the dates. You're going to mess up the people. And it's like fitness. Uh, that's to the core. Yeah. That's you going, you do it. You don't forget it. But, now, you sent me. So yeah, before we started recording this podcast tonight, you sent me like, what it was a few hours ago. You're like, Get my my uh my workout in pre oh, pre podcast, yeah. and you were on a kayak. Yeah, 
So has that like, been like your new thing? That's been one of them. Like, I you can't you know for some. Let's say I don't have a I don't go to a gym really that often. Obviously, like at all for the most part because of like COVID and everything. And it depends how safe your like your gym is. I know one of my friends she goes to like I think Planet Fitness or one of the chains, and like no one obeys any of the rules, and like everyone's like close quarters, and it's just like you can't be comfortable doing that. I know other gyms are more strict, but, and also like, I like weightlifting. Like I used to like doing like the standard three days a week, like back and bias, chest and tries, legs, and like throwing the shoulders on top of that. Mm-hmm. But like, I can't really get that as much. Before COVID, I used to do a lot of bouldering stuff. I would go to Climb Iowa, which has like an insane, there's two locations. Um, the one I went to is just a lot of bouldering. The other one they have is like, um, you get the rope, you tied. I should know the name of it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But I did a lot of free um, bouldering where you don't, where you're not tied, you don't have the rope and everything. But and that was nice. That was a lot of form, legs, and just basically utilizing the whole body. And you get, I got kind of bored of just like weightlifting. I wanted to see like functional ways where you can utilize it. For a little bit of time, when I went to Iowa State, I did judo, I did hapkido, and I tried to kind of get into martial arts and make my weightlifting and all my exercises like more functional. Like, yeah, just being like, oh, look at my biceps, look at my legs. I'm like, no, this is, I use this on a daily basis for throwing people and like basically doing takedowns and stuff. I want, I want functionality to it besides yeah. like, that. It's really important because people do get fo- focused on when they do certain lifts. That it's a it's a specific movement, which is good to get those the bigger muscles, the base muscles there. But if you're not doing accessory movements, accessory activities, you are, it's basically a waste. That's why uh, um, when I work out, I do I do the big three. You know, I do squats, I do bench and deadlift. But I have every time I focus on one of those days, I focus on other activities that work out muscles similar to it or around that same area because. You'll like you'll jack up your joints really quick, really bad if you don't relieve those big those big three and then go into other areas of exercise. So, in your case, doing um like what did you say taekwondo, karate, judo, which is basically judo, just okay. yeah, judo, yeah, it's just throwing people, which is like more. I tried a little bit of Muay Thai, which is like I'm not an aggressive person. I'd like to think I'm in Muay Thai is literally boxing with just kicking. It's all just striking. It's all just punching, kicking until the other guy's like out. And I'm like, I, I did it with my buddy um, from like Iowa State. I did it like right before, a little bit before COVID. And him and I would just go and like spar and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like punching and kicking. Yeah, like, I'm not a fighter in any realm. But I would say, in my opinion, grappling is more important because oh, yeah. you can strike and you can get someone down. You can get someone down. You can knock them out on a strike. But here's the thing. If someone decides to grapple you, you can't strike. You can still grapple if someone's trying to strike you. You can still grapple them and get them into a position they can't strike you. So in my opinion, then, grappling is a more important procedure. Um, I feel like it depends a lot on like kind of like um, your stature too. Like if I was tall, 
I had a high reach. I'm like, you can't come to me if I basically figure out how to roundhouse punch this homie. Yeah, or kick, which it is important. I think I don't want to say it's not important. It is important, when, especially if you are an MMA fighter. That's like your job. It's important to know those things. But in like day to day life, like I'm not expecting to. Oh, you're not expecting some guy to be like, hey, no. Well, also, even if I like trained how to do it, I don't think I'd ever be confident enough that it's like, okay, I can definitely knock whoever it is out. 100% of the time without you having no idea what training they have gone through because a lot of like judo a lot of that stuff isn't like about bulking up it's all about technique mm-hmm. there can be like a shorter and it can be someone like literally like 16 year old small slimmer guy and they're just like I'm doing like judo I'm doing taekwondo they get to build confidence because a lot of it was like just trying to build confidence and feel like comfortable in your body and like know it's like know what you're capable of and like against other people it's like it's not as aggressive as violent as a lot of people like push it to be it's more of a fitness exercise and just building confidence and like doing technique it's like where some like nerds kind of flourish actually 100 so like what's your is that kind of like your fitness skill now you're look you're looking more into activities that use full body and not necessarily just repetitive motion yeah, I like the gym as much as the next guy, but I was just trying to like bouldering was cool because like I got to push myself to like different levels. I did it with like a group of friends that was like, like I don't know how many people know bouldering, but like there's different there's different like tags under different like under different rocks, and there's like B zero, B one, B two, B three. There's different levels for different like courses you would try and do. So like it can be as challenging or as easy as you want it to be. And it's just kind of, it was just hang out with my buddies. We try, we go bouldering and we try and see who was like the best climber. And then afterwards we might hit up a, like a brewery or two across the street. That's great. Like in downtown Des Moines. It was like, got me pulled in. On top of that, like kayaking back biceps, like whole arm, like workout. And it's just kind of like a relaxing, like, when I was bouldering, I was going through like down this river that was like under a bridge and there was like a lot of foliage and like a lot of trees and nature on each side. And it was like really peaceful for like just drifting. But then I'm like, really want to get into it. Really want to really feel it in the back. So mm-hmm. like, it's, it's nice to not just be in the room surrounded by mirrors and just lifting up the same weight over and over again. Like I like yeah. lifting weights, but I like to have like a little bit more a little different activity like cardio like biking is nice instead of like running too like there's a lot yeah. of different stuff you can do i in my opinion i feel like i will get better at working out when i get to a financial position where i could like hire a trainer honestly because i am that like even though i really do enjoy just hitting the weights being in the gym being in that environment i like i love that a lot I move around so much so to get to a point where it's like, I don't consistently have workout partners and a workout partner, at least to me, it makes the world having someone else there. I can, you know, compete with, or I could just like, you know, have them yell at me or I yell at them, this and that. It helps a lot compared to like, you know, I know for, I know I don't feel as secure or as confident to push PRs when I don't have someone to spot me. And I'm just not that confident to look around at everyone else in the gym and inconvenience their lives and be like, Hey man, can you spot me in my selfish thing that hits, you know, whatever way I'm trying to hit. 
I, I, I like, I would love it. I would love to get to that point. And honestly, like, I think Dallas, I'll probably stick here for a while. I'll probably be here long enough to find a good workout partner, but that's been like my biggest wall currently is just that I don't have that person to help me push myself to that next level. I hate to pay on someone else, but it's just, I'm at that point. Like no, I've, been doing, I've been doing the fitness that. game for however now. And I, I feel like I've hit my point of how into it I am to where like, okay, I know I need someone else at this point. You know, I was like, I, for a long time, I was just like a strict runner. Like I ran yeah. country track all of high school. I, you were, you were a skinny, a skinny dude. Good oh, runner, dude. and then out of nowhere, you just got fucking Jackson. You got no. It was ripped. there was a transition into it um, because, like, I ran cross country track all of high school. I went to community college before I went to university, and I did. I was on their cross country team. I ran like fifty miles a week, and I was just like cross country. I laid, well, I was like five ten and one hundred twenty pounds, and it was like it was not a good thing. And then like. And then one of my buddies um, got me into weightlifting out of like a lot of peer pressure. And I had like just gotten out of like some personal stuff. Like I was like kind of low on the confidence scale. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe, maybe I could like start weightlifting as a way to like, cause like I was kind of getting tired of running. I like after you run competitively, like at the like collegiate level, like, my knees could not keep up. I was, I was getting hurt left and right. I was like, hey, weightlifting is like an, also I was not the fondest of the skinny bean look. That was not something I wanted to keep. I was like, like, I was, I'm not very happy. It was like, I want to bulk up a little bit. So he peer pressured me. I ended up going to the gym with him. And then he was, you've met my friend, my friend, Aaron. Like six three and pretty jacked, and I'm like not that. <laughs> so basically, he he was my he was my gym rat buddy, and then like three three times a week for like a year, he was just sticking me to the gym, and I was like slightly competitive by nature. So I was like, um, he would lift some, he would like do bench press. And I would be like, you know what? I'm going to try a rep of yours before we take off two plates on each side. For my- <laughs> <laughs> so I would just like try just like, to feel it. the best I could. And he just like slowly got me to like, also it was like a confidence booster too. And also for a lot of weightlifting, it was, it's something that's going to stay the same every day. Like st- relationships, um, grades for instance because that was a big thing is gonna change day by day but four or five play it's gonna be something i can actively increase and i have control over i don't have control over some of the other stuff that happens to me as much as i wish they do or as much as i think they do and i can when i can see work increasing to progression that i like that's what made weightlifting kind of enjoyable to me i do i do like that like that's uh that goes into a lot of things of like, I like having things where it's like, I'm the one who decides my progress. I like having that control, like working out the podcast, my personal relationships, you know, how good I am as a manager or how good I am as a boyfriend, this and that, how good I am as a son. I like things where it's like the only person gets the base, how good I am in my own eye is how is myself. 
and lifting is great in the aspect that it's like it's just there it's just can you pick it up yes or no all right you didn't work hard enough yet get to that point i love that i love having that challenge it's, it's very clear if you made it or not and some days you might have that off day was like maybe like my my workout days are monday wednesday friday like and like today was supposed to be like back and buys. And I was like, I don't really feel like going to the gym. I just worked like a full day in the lab. I don't really feel like that. I feel like I get the same workout from kayaking, go out on the kayak, really try and work it out. And then like third, then like Friday, I'll try and go back to my routine. Like just find like, like just cause I'm not going to the gym doesn't mean I'm not getting physical exercise or I'm not pushing those same muscle groups, just trying to find like a, a situation where I feel comfortable. I'm not trying to force something. Yeah. Cause like if I went to the gym, maybe I, I don't think I would have done my workout as like, I wouldn't put in as much effort as I wish I did. Also, when I was in college after I started weightlifting, like, like, you know, we, ha we went to high school of like Hol Tanner Hovland. Yeah. He went to school for kinesiology. So he was kind of my, one of my, like my private, exercise coach because I'd go lifting with him and he would be like yeah you haven't been bench pressing right for like three years <laughs> you haven't been deadlifting properly for like three years so he was like my personal coach that came dude like, technique is everything technique oh, will make that so I I had lifted a little bit with, by a little bit I mean literally one session but it taught me it taught me so much with a buddy of mine oh, yeah. Josh who was uh before we had worked out he was a a uh, competitive powerlifter for years. And at the time, he was just doing it more recreationally. And I just told him, like, I have, you know, I have some back problems. Deadlift really isn't my forte. And he's like, he he's about the same, like, he's about the same height as me, maybe like an inch or two taller. Um, has a little more weight than I do, but that's all in muscle. And I saw this man pick up 600 pounds off the floor, and I was like, fuck that's awesome and i like i i was able to hit like my prs for like reps i was able to hit a pr for reps with him just because he was he was one motivating me which is most important in my opinion and two was just showing me hey man you're just not doing it right like get your hands here do this with your hips do this with your back you know get it to your shins straight up straight down it was it was great if i could have someone like that like on a day-to-day -day basis like every workout a trainer it would like, be incredible. I just wish it was cheaper. I go some, through I go through LA Fitness and uh, their training is oh, really great too. But not really. I mean, I had a uh, Plant Fitness one for a while, and it's not okay. too much more. Uh, I do so it does it does cost more. And Planet Fitness, you get like you know you get uh, to tan and you get like the Hydro Bed and stuff like that. That being said, when it comes to like how much free weights they have, they don't have any free weights. And personally, to me, free weights are so important to working out. Bread and butter for everything I do. Bread and butter. Fixed machines, they're good to build those base muscles. But going back to what we were talking earlier, you need accessory muscles. You need stabilization. You know, hitting a Smith machine for bench amazing. gets you to a point, but you need to hit regular bench. You need to have that wobble oh, going up and balance it yourself to – get all the uh, accessories all right adam so i have one more question for you and then we need to end this podcast because it has been fun but it's getting too long at this point oh for sure uh, here's the here's my last question for you 
if you could pick one scientist to have a cup of coffee with, mm. who would the scientist be? Who would I sit down and have a cup of coffee with? A- anyone, even if they're dead right now, you could still sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. Oh, for sure. I would probably pick. I probably put Gregor Mendel. He was a. Uh, he created, you know, the pundit square that we have. Uh, yeah. In biology, yeah. roughly. Yep. <laughs> he basically worked on. I love that square. That's my favorite <laughs> one of the squares. Well, what did what did he do? He was um. Uh, he was a geneticist. He was a monk for a long time. Well, he was a gen a monk for the longest period of time. Also, you'll realize when you look through like Darwin and like a lot of great scientists, they were looked at like, like I'm pretty sure they thought Darwin had autism for a long time. Like he was, they did not look at him very highly. And like for Gregor Mendel, he, he figured out how like stuff cross, like he, like in the garden of the monastery where he worked, he crossbred plants and he was like, oh, if I mix these two, tall plants small plants just figured out like basically the the homozygous heterozygous like little a big a well it'd be big a little a little a little a creates this heterozygous homozygous stuff and like he was he would just basically like work on it study it and then just try and figure out how it like worked and related to stuff and he just became obsessed with it and like he it's funny because he didn't succeed for a long time. He kept on trying to go to like university and be like, I want to be a biology teacher. He kept on failing. I want to be like a, I want to try and get like my teaching degree. He kept on failing. And then he just kept on like, he wrote links. He got discovered like years after his death. And they were like, this is evolutionary. This is like insane. He basically created the concepts of genetics that we like know now. And he got no credit for it. And he was just, just by like pure passion of the science, someone to like Darwin. Yeah, pure. That's crazy. Wanted it. Lots of uh, there's lots of geniuses like that. Oh yeah. So many people that the, the people just didn't listen to them until after they passed away, and then so many years collected, they were like, "Fuck!" Like they they had it. Almost, yeah. Um, I forget who the. I feel bad. It was a female inventor. I don't. I can't. I'll have to look it up. Uh, it's a female inventor. She essentially she created Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. And uh, do you know what her name is by chance? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> no, yeah, I have to look it up. But uh, I feel like a piece. No, I'm going to do it now because I'm going to feel like a piece of shit if I end the podcast not knowing what this lady's name was. Uh, While you're doing that, I'm going to go on a little tangent. Yes, please do. For like science. For a lot of stuff, it's, like, all about the passion of kind of doing something. When I think of, like, any contribution I'm trying to make, like, I don't care if I have, like, a name. This is me. I don't care. I can't speak for every scientist. But it's, like, kind of also, damn it, you got me calling myself a scientist. Yes. <laughs> but it's not about, like, kind of getting your name out there. Like, getting Pause. Hedy Lamar is the name of the lady who nice. basically invented Wi-Fi. Which no one gave a shit about anything she had to say because she was a pretty face and they didn't want to listen because she was a sexy and they didn't want to listen to her until after she died. They looked at her notes and I'm like, oh shit, it's uh, it's Franklin Ross talks about his podcast, not his podcast, it's special. Continue with what you're saying. Um, for like a lot of like scientists, I feel like a lot of us are just trying to make the world like a better place. It's kind of like 
imagine like a brick wall and every single scientist like contribution lays weight for someone else's like discovery you're just slowly trying to get up to like a better world i feel like there's a lot of scientists like interpretation to it it's like making like a discovery that someone else can like create something else on top of that will like benefit society and it's just layering up to like a better world i feel like a lot of like the earlier scientists kind of had that mindset too they're like like it'd be cool if your name's in a paper it'd be cool if your name's on but it's more the embitterment for everyone else oh yeah popularity a better pay would be cool too but like we can't yeah (laughs) preaching to the choir brother preaching to the choir uh adam i cannot thank you enough for joining me today on my podcast this has been absolutely wonderful i appreciate you listening to my absolutely terribly dumb questions about the very smart very uh proficient career choice that you decided to do um thank you for indulging me in all these things thank you so much i uh again and again for being on this podcast and uh, hopefully educating someone who decides to listen um that being said man cheers to you and thank you for being a fellow babble bearer cheers to you sir thanks thanks for having me on and i hope i explained things proficiently enough and after still my craft beers it didn't come out as nonsense honestly after a few craft beers for me you sound even smarter so that's what we need to do (laughs) appreciate it